welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA. We are taping this on Sunday night. Effective immediately. After many months of negotiation, as my producer Jackson can tell you, we are moving to three times a week with the Hoop Collective. Aren't you all happy or sad? And um, to kick off our first Monday podcast, I have a special guest. I don't normally go outside of the world of ESPN for this show. That's what we call it, the Hoop Collective. But there are special circumstances for which I will, and this is one of them. I am joined by, I would have called him attorney Alex Spiro, but today in the Washington Post, they called him celebrity attorney. Alex, do you like being called celebrity attorney? I didn't like necessarily being called the LeBron reporter, the LeBron guy, because I felt like I did more than that. Do you like being called celebrity attorney? Definitely not. Yeah, I didn't think so. I, I If I were you, I wouldn't like it either. Um, he, uh, where are you now, by the way? Are you allowed to say where you are, or is it a secret? Undisclosed location. That's why you see these, uh, you know, the white background. Right. You know, We don't want to know what city that you're in. Okay, good. Bingo. Um, Alex is an attorney. He has defended many high-profile clients, many NBA players, um, many uh, figures in sports, I don't really feel like going over your whole resume here unless you want to. Do you want to? I don't think let's let's skip it and get to hoops. Yeah, right. Let's do let's skip it. Let's just say that this guy is an expert when high profile individuals need legal representation. He is who they go to. Feel free to Google him if you want. Feel free to look at Sunday's Washington Post. There is a, a lengthy story on him because for the last week, I will mention one name for the last week, you've been working at Twitter with Elon Musk as um, part of his team that it just recently acquired. Have you had any fun in the last week? I'll ask the only thing I'll ask you about Twitter. Have you had any fun or has it been all business and all, I mean, you know, no fun? Listen, it's all business, but when you are inside that company and you see how amazing it is and, and what it uh, can accomplish for the world, uh, you're really taken aback because it's a pretty amazing place. So with that said, you know, it's all business. Right. Okay. So, you have taken, you have received, I think, in my guess is in your career, many, many phone calls late at night, early in the morning from people that are in some measure of distress or trouble. And the NBA recently, there has been a number of teams and players who have found themselves in distress or trouble. And I do not think they are very being handled very well. Now, we will never know the percentage of crises that are handled well in the NBA, Alex, because some of them, some which you probably know a lot about, which are privileged, never become public. But the ones that have been coming public recently, I do not feel that um, uh, they are being handled well. And the th even though I know you are very connected in the NBA and have very solid basketball knowledge, before we talk about uh, other teams, I wanted to ask you, and this, what you're about to say, is probably very valuable. I don't know what you charge per hour, but I'll bet it's a lot. My wife is an attorney. I have a general idea of what attorneys charge. I'll bet what you're about to say is a very valuable information. In fact, I would even argue that all NBA teams probably should have you come to speak to them and educate their leadership if they don't already uh, about what I'm, what I'm about to talk about. So I appreciate you offering to do this because I don't think NBA teams are handling crisis very well right now. So when 
something very potentially damaging and disruptive and potentially even legally damaging happens to an organization, what do you think the proper thing the NBA team should be doing? Maybe that they're, they haven't been doing. Well, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, there are certain problems with it and you have to look at different contours, right? You've got the psychology of the player, the inner circle that he, um, you know, relies upon. You've got the team, the organ, the greater organization, the players association, the league, the media, law enforcement. I mean, there are so many different stakeholders and folks getting involved um, that it's a lot to sort of balance and manage. The second thing that happens, I don't think people fully appreciate, is how quickly it all happens. Um, so your decision making where, you know, if you were in a boardroom dealing with a corporation, you might have months and lots of smart folks and analytics and ways to evaluate things. A crisis that happens to a celebrity or high profile person, you have seconds sometimes to respond and to decide how to pivot and deal with it properly. Um, and then the third thing is because of the media and social media at this point, um, the ramifications and the staying power are extreme. And so when you look at it through all those different lenses, you realize you're dealing with a very, very complex and difficult situation. Um, so, so, you know, after that, you know, the question is just how can you get control over whatever it is quickly and decisively, get your arms around the facts um, as fast as possible, because the facts matter and the facts drive really everything, or at least when I'm involved, every decision that I make and make sure that there's a voice that everybody can listen to so that there can be some decisiveness and some command um, to the situation. So, you know, th those are sort of my quick and first takes on it. So, you know, the situation, so I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, you want to talk particulars, but teams sometimes have a, a difficult path to walk when potentially something may get public. They could um, make a deal, uh, you know, settle, settle out of court before it goes to lawsuit. I'm sure this happens way more than ever known um, versus uh, fighting publicly. You know, the San Antonio Spurs are fighting publicly um, the uh, accusations made by a former employee regarding Josh Primo. They have decided to, to publicly fight that um, and is now a public relations battle. Um, do you believe that it's a good idea to ever fight publicly uh, or should teams try or even players try to keep things, do everything they can to keep things ever from getting public? Well, listen, I'm a fighter and there's no hiding from that. And I fought many of these battles publicly. And uh, I think there's always a time and a place to fight and to sort of die on the hill. That being said, probably the, you know, the best crisis intervention and the best work that's done is never heard of is the, is the yeah. tree that falls in the woods and never makes a sound. And so you have to pick your spots. You have to be right. Um, you have to understand the facts quickly and how the public's going to perceive the facts. You know, some folks will tell you that, you know, if it takes more than two minutes to explain something, that's too long to explain something in the court of public opinion. And so once you realize what the situation is and how controlled and defined it is, you know, I try to keep the group that knows about what's going on very, very small. And I try to get to the truth as quick as is humanly possible. Right. I have I have the team, the organization pulling, you know, first source documents for me urgently, you know, cameras, text messages, whatever it may be. Um, and making sure that I know and pressure test every aspect of it. So I know. And so 
you know, some problems um, are, are worse than they appear and some are better than they appear. And you really have to know that at the outset to decide, is this something where the more, most honorable and, and best way to handle it is to, you know, pay reparations, do something to make it right, apologize, get control over it, and quietly deal with it? Or is this something that is being blown out of proportion or is unfairly being characterized? And at that point, maybe you have an obligation to, in fact, fight it and to, and to defend oneself. Um, and those are critical, quick decisions that have to be made. So um, as uh, someone who's handled this very often, um, when you saw the way Kyrie and the Nets were publicly handling his um, his crisis, public relations crisis, what were you thinking? Well, rather than talk about, because, you know, I'm, I'm in and around so much of this specifics, I will just tell you that it, it is obvious to me that um, we are at a point in this country and on the media that, you know, certain comments are going to be polarizing and and for good reason. You know, there's a lot of hurt, a lot of history of hurt. And so when you are dealing with that type of a situation, it's it's lightning in a bottle. And um, you have to know that and understand that. And so it has to be dealt with extremely sensitively. And everybody has to be on the same page in terms of you know, what, what actually happened, you know, let's be clear about what happened. Um, and what can we do, you know, if people are hurt by, by comments and, and especially by stuff that's hateful or is perceived as hateful, then you've, you've got to treat it far more sensitively. I mean, whether or not it was intended that way, said recklessly, negligently, or what have you, you, you just have to understand that you're dealing with generational levels of hurt. And so once you're in that zone, you're in a zone where, you know, one has to be extremely apologetic and one has to um, do their best to try to be apologetic and conciliatory to the community in which you've harmed. And so, you know, in those circumstances, I think they're almost an outlier and just in terms of how um, sensitive one must be to one's comments and, and how to deal with it after the fact. And and why it's so important, I feel like the way an organization presents itself publicly and this has to be so buttoned up. And I feel like sometimes, you know, I think there's an obligation to the fans to go into and have a press conference at times. Um, but I don't feel like the press conferences sometimes are buttoned down. Like I don't I feel like sometimes they do more harm than good. And that's where I watch it and go like, boy, I know that a, that a, a general manager of a team has got to worry about analytics and medical science and human resources and picking good basketball players and picking good coaches and managing the budget. I know that there's a lot on their plate already. And I know that there's got to be racial sensitivity uh, uh, training that, that, that has to be done. But I and I and media training, basic media training. But like sometimes I'm wondering, like, did you guys talk this over? Did you guys have a have a plan? Um, I don't know. I don't know if you get consulted for this often, but um, I've seen the way I've talked to you in informal settings where I'm reporting on what you're saying. I'm reporting on cases. I know how you handle it. I know that, you know, I mean, you went to Harvard. Did they teach it at Harvard? I mean, we're I mean don't you think maybe some teams should really focus on this type of training for their guys too? Well, listen, I have gone in and spoke to teams before. Um, no, they don't teach this at Harvard. 
And some of it is it takes some EQ and takes some understanding of what you don't know, not what you know, but what you don't know. And so, you know, just staying on the same example, I mean, I just think it's critical to acknowledge right at the outset that whatever was said, what was ever intended, if there are people that have been hurt by this, you know, I haven't walked a mile in your shoes. I don't know what your grandparents went through. I don't know what it's like to live your life. But if this is hurting people profoundly, I need to acknowledge it and acknowledge that I may not even understand it, right? And um, I think doing that goes a long way to sort of telling people, you know, whatever the pain is you're suffering, I'm not claiming to have ownership of, of it. I I know that that there's something wrong that needs to be remedied and we're working on remedying it because it's, you know, it's bigger, it's bigger than me and it's bigger than the common itself. Um, and, you know, these folks are role models. What they say is followed. Um, you know, uh, Mandela used to say, you know, that people aren't born with hate. People are not born with bigotry, right? They learn it. It's the only way. You're born with other traits or other impulses, but not hate. And so when you think about something like that, that is, you know, a lightning rod, it, it just has to be dealt with in, in a completely different way. And I think people need to acknowledge it. I mean, you know, a lot of times at these press conferences, there's a lot of corporate speak too, and a lot of, you know, tightness that that can look like insensitivity, frankly. And so, yeah. you know, the, the, those are some just reactions to that subject matter. I'm not basing this on any specific press conference. Right. I'm just saying that this is this right. is the world. Yeah. You know, you you often will be involved with guys when they're at really, really low moments. You know, I'm not going to say who this player is. You represented a player um, a couple years ago that got into a legal entanglement and long story short, you were able to resolve it favorably for the player. And that player subsequently went on and recently signed a very lucrative contract. And his career was in significant jeopardy when you helped him. And all these other, I mean, people can Google you and see the people that you've worked with. You've got a lot of W's in your resume. When you are dealing with a person or a player who's in a really vulnerable situation and a very vulnerable moment, how do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, you got to be there. People want to know that you're in the alley fighting for them, you know, that you're hearing them and listening to them, but you're protecting them. And I think you got to remember and remind people that, you know, people are worse you know, worse off in that moment than they'll ever be, and that people are are more than the worst thing they've ever done. And so I'm always reminding these folks that, you know, t- tomorrow will be a new day. You know, if we can get through this and we play and we play with this and deal with this the right way, and you're cleared, you're exonerated, and you can move forward, that you have many, many chapters ahead of you, and you can't, you know, be overtaken by the moment, you know, and I have different you know, things I remind people of and anecdotes, you know, I, I'll sometimes say to one of the guys, you know, do you remember who was on the news, the cover of the newspaper yesterday? And they'll say, I have no idea. And I'll say, you see, and that was yesterday. No one's going to remember. No one's going to remember yeah. that you were on page 11 30 days from now, let alone 90 days from now. If you get control over whatever this issue is, you handle it the right way and you move forward and people will remember that growth and remember, you know, the person that you are and that's the person you become. And, 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 you know, I think things like that help these, these guys in those moments. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the fun stuff. Thank you for indulging me on that. Um, you are from Boston. You don't live in Boston anymore, um, or you don't even really live in the Northeast anymore. I don't think. Um, but you're a Celtics fan through and through. Um, 
live and die with them. But you're a realist. You're not, you know, I have not found you in our discussions to be uh, fan-based. Um, the Celtics, they don't have the best record in the Eastern Conference so far, but they look pretty good. And night in and night out, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are absolutely slugging guys with a one-two punch, slugging them. And they have some issues around the edges of their roster. Um, but considering how close they were last year, what are your emotions as you're watching the Celtics early this season? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Malcolm Brogdon is a huge addition. I, I think he's like almost the the player you pictured them missing in the finals last year. Um, but, but at the same time, what I, what really where my mind is, is we need to get healthy, right? We're not going to go anywhere without our center. And, um, you know, he needs to come back. We need, um, we, we need time Lord. We need him to be, um, at a hundred or close to hundred percent because you're going to have to go through Giannis and Giannis is something that, you know, we've really never seen before. And I don't, you know, Love Al. It's sort of always out there. Like, even when you're doing really well, boy, Giannis is sort of in the back of your mind. Like, you know, you know, I'm an Ohio State fan. You know, even when they win, you're always thinking, yeah, well, that Michigan's back there. Michigan's back there. Yeah, he's like a guy that comes to the pickup court. You're like, okay, you know, like they start off like up. Like, you know, we're going to all have to play perfectly and like grab at him and, and pray a little in order to stop him. He's like a mythological um, um, you know, figure. Um, and so you're not going to stop him without, without Robert Williams. I mean, you're just not. And so he needs to come back and be healthy, but then no, I think Malcolm Brogdon, the guys are a year older. They've been through it. You'd love for one more, one more guy on the team to sort of come into his own, to be a real rotation playoff guy. Um, but other than that, new coach is doing great. You know, love the front office. Those guys are all class acts. Um, Brad, um, um, Mike Zarin and those guys. I mean, so I, you know, they've got I mean, a you're, great You're team. close to the situation, so I'm not asking you to give insight here, too much insight here, but what did you, when when Ime was knocked out, I mean, that couldn't have, uh, that couldn't have been a, a good feeling for a Celtics fan. No, of course not. It's a, t- it's a terrible, it's a terrible situation. It's unfortunate. It causes a lot of suffering. Um, you know, and, and no, it's not a good situation. Do you believe that Robert Williams will get back healthy or do they need to consider trading for another center uh, to have someone else there? I mean, they, they there have some contracts that they can cobble together. Um, they have a first round pick they can trade. Brad Stevens has shown he's not afraid to trade first. I mean, this team is on the verge of a championship. I could see them trading another first. You know, what's your comfort level with that with that spot? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um I mean he's gotta come back. I mean, we need him. I mean, and the idea, you know, him not coming back to me, you know, with with razor thin margins in the league, never more talented. And again, Giannis, um, you know, I think you've got um a real problem. But I mean, listen, I mean, would would a Yaka Pertle as a insurance piece yeah. upset me? Yeah. No, it would not upset me at all. And you know, centers are cheaper than they than they ever were, right? If we can get another, if we can get a quality defensive center to be there, I mean, frankly, we might need another quality. We might need another big man um, anyway. So I, I won't be complaining if they do that. 
before you go, you're a guy who likes hot takes. Now, look, I know in your profession, you, you got to be careful with your hot takes. Do you have a hot take that you're prepared to defend about the NBA at this moment? I'm, I'm prepared to attack you on it, counselor. I will cross-examine you. Uh, do you have a hot take? I mean, my hot take, I think, will go to the West, is that the Blazers are better than people realize and that um, their front court is better defensively than people realize. And so with their two guards shooting the lights out of the ball and popping around and shooting threes from 35 feet, your front court, I mean, Nurkic is a real defender. People completely forget that. He doesn't look like it all the time, but he is. And, and they've got other front court players, and Peyton's not even back yet. And I think they can defend better than they have in years past. Heart is a dog and can fight, and and that's my hot take that the, that the that the Blazers could could even be in the top four in the West. Top four. Well, you know they lost it. They lost in Phoenix on Saturday night. Um, uh, Anthony Simons and Lillard were are banged up. I don't think it's serious. Those guys are banged up. Uh, but they've the only team to beat Phoenix so far this year. They beat them twice already. They played them three times already. Um, you know, I'm a little bit concerned. You talk about their defense. Their backcourt is really small, really, really small. And so, you know, the thing about, about Cleveland, you know, like people in Cleveland say to me, you know, did you, uh, people who, you know, who I know in Cleveland, they're saying, did you know that Donovan Mitchell is this good? Because I think people in Cleveland, you know, they didn't watch the Western Conference, you know, and I was like, yeah, I knew he was this good. He's a multi-time all-star. He's a stud. Did you ever watch, did you ever see Utah? Their numbers are super you know, they always had these great teams. You know, two years ago, they were number one overall seed in the whole NBA. He's been on a lot of winning teams. I'm concerned about their ability because of the size of their backcourt to be able to create open shots when it matters, to be able to defend on the perimeter as it matters. You're already saying, you know, they're going to need some of their bigs to sort of play perimeter defense. I have the same thing about Portland. You know, I'm worried about the size of the Cavs guards. Portland's guards are even smaller, you know. And so Gary Payton should when he comes back, alleviate that and give them an option to go and get a guy who defends on the perimeter. That's why they went out and signed him. But, you know, for them to put their best team on the floor, they are going to have that issue. So, like, them making the playoffs would be a great step forward for them considering their last year they kind of tanked the last half of the season. You're saying top four, man. That's a – you're out there with that one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I like them so much, you know, get, marching through the playoffs. I just think that, you know, with with two guards shooting oh, you're that saying way, a top four, you're saying a top four seed is what you're saying. Correct. Two guards shooting that way. And then just, you know, the way I look at the West a little bit is, yeah, that their guards don't defend well. But who are we talking about? We're talking about Ja and Curry and nobody can stop either of them at all. Like, it doesn't seem to me that that anybody can stop Morant when he's going to the hoop. Right. So it does. It's almost irrelevant whether it's the second best defender in the league or the worst point guard defender in the league. And the same thing with Steph. If Steph is cooking. He's cooking. It's just it, it almost doesn't matter. And so after that, you know, it's a lot of wings in the West um, and they've got some pretty good wing defenders. And, you know, Jeremy Grant looks good from what I've seen. You know, you don't see them play that much. But from what I've seen, you know, I think they're they're better than advertised. They definitely are over. We've got some teams in the league underachieving. They're a team that is overachieving for sure. So, uh, all right. Well, we will have you back maybe later in the season. Thank you for your insight. Good luck with your God knows what this week's going to bring for you. Maybe the New York times will feature. will uh, profile you next Sunday. 
I can only hope. I look forward to learning more about you. Good, good to see. Good to see you, Brian. All right. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Take care. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start with thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can. Even if that's just a 10 minute low impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, now we welcome in, I go from one expert to another, our front office insider, Bobby Marks. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm good, Brian. How are you? I'm good. Um, I really would like to talk about some things that are not Kyrie Irving, but we're going to take a more broad approach, I thought, with you. You worked in New York for over 20 years. Um, You live in Florida now. Um but obviously still very much paying attention to it. And out of everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks, um, I had an interesting question that I thought you would have a, uh, you know, let's say the Nets and the Knicks both said to you, come work for us. Um, let's forget about ownership and all that stuff. Uh, which team do you think right now is better positioned the nets or the Knicks? I think six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, 25 days ago would be interesting. But right now, the night of September, uh, November 6th, who do you feel better about as an organization where they are the nets or the Knicks? Well, it's it's going to disappoint my friends that I still have in that Nets organization, but uh, for me, uh, it's the Knicks. Uh, I like the certain bet on things, although you know this team is is, is five hundred right now. I mean, if you would, Brian, if you would have told me that the Ben Simmons in Brooklyn is the Ben Simmons of two years ago, um, and the, the turmoil of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving or, you know, everything, if these players were under contract, you know, if Irving was under contract and there wasn't any issues, I would certainly say the, the nets here, but the Knicks where they are, um, I would take Jalen Brunson over Kyrie Irving any day of the week. Um, mm. You know, it's certainly not, you know, Irving's has more of the accolades, but I'm, I'm taking the guy that's in their contract for four more years. And is the more consistent player. Um, 
I don't know where the Nets are going with their head coaching search. And who knows, in a year from now, Tom Thibodeau could be out of a job. Who knows, right? But at least for now, uh, I'm taking all their draft picks that they've um, hoarded <laughs> and, and are not willing to give up right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm taking a little bit more of kind of the, the, the sure bet here where um, the R.J. Barrett's, the Julius Randles, you know, I know there's not some there's some unattractive pieces, you know, Evan Fournier's contract here, but I, for me, the only really sure bet is, is, um, is Kevin Durant. And I don't know how long he's going to be in Brooklyn for, um, you know, yeah. there's no guarantee there. So I want to, you, you mentioned the, the Knicks pick situation. I just want to go over it real quick. So the Knicks own all of their, all of their first round picks. Um, and they, Oh, I think they owe a couple of second round picks. Uh, the next two years, I think they've traded their second round picks. So they've got, they don't have all their seconds, but they have all their first. Plus they have this year's pick from Dallas is top yep. 10 protected. Um, they own this year's pick from Detroit, top 18 protected. So that's not going to convey. And then it rolls back in protections for years, but they uh, they have a Detroit pick that they have to trade. They have the a, a pick from uh, the Wizards, which is top 14 protected this year, top 12 protected next year, top 10 protected in 25. You know, it could come this year, but maybe next, maybe the year after. Um, they have a couple of second round draft picks. Well, here, I'll, I'll just go to 2025. They've got a uh, 2025 first from Milwaukee. Um so that's four extra first round picks in addition to the seven that they have for 11 total. And now that I'm looking at it, they have one, two, three, uh, four, five incoming second round picks. So their two picks are going, but they have five more. So they have plus three second round picks. So, um, an outrageous number of picks, Brooklyn, um, is don't control their draft for the next five years. Three picks, I think, and two swaps, Bobby. Is that right? Yeah, they have uh, the, the swap this year with, uh, you know, with with Houston. Uh, two unprotected, two swaps. Um, so basically the next four years here. Next four years, right. The well, crazy part with Brooklyn, though, and I know they've won a couple games of late here, but if you would like take a peek in the, in the standings here and like if, if Armageddon came and, 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 you know, you were just going to gut this roster here because of where Houston is right now and sitting in that number one spot, like there would be a crazy scenario out there where the Nets could potentially have a top three. They, they'll never have the number one pick. Right, they'll never have the one number one pick because the Rockets right. right they're, to swap. they're not getting Victor Wimbayama. No, but you could get Scoo <laughs> number two so, if all hell broke so, loose. Yeah. So you you mentioned this in passing on Zach Lowe's podcast the other day, and I don't like the whole going back and forth on podcasts, but yep. you mentioned it, and I thought it was interesting. So you, the, the premise that you're bringing up here before we talk about the more relative situation is that you've heard the term "go big or go home." This would be sort of the inverse of that. It would be like, go home, you know, because like, um, you know, you know, it, it would be basically like if you're going to really pivot and and salvage this situation, 
you would have to do it immediately. Um, and you would have to say, okay, um, if since since Houston's pick, you don't know what Houston would be next year. You don't know what Houston would be in two years. So there's ever going to be an advantageous time in the next really three or four years to um, to swap with Houston or, or sort of take the fangs out of Houston's swap rights. It would potentially be this year, not only because the Rockets aren't very good, but also because they're not incentivized to get any better because they want their own pick to have the best chance to get number one as possible. <clears throat> so you're saying in that regard, I mean, first off, we know, we know that Ben Simmons is coming off a serious back injury. Doesn't look good, and now he's got a knee issue. We know that Kyrie Irving at the moment has been sent home. We know that Joe Harris has lingering issues with his surgery. We know that Seth Curry is lingering, is um, is having issues coming off his surgery. They currently do not have a full-time head coach. They have an interim head coach. Ime Udoka has not been named head coach. Um, draw your own conclusions from Ime Udoka not having been named head coach yet. Um, we'll see what happens there. Um, the concept you're saying, and this sounds like something that if you were still on staff there, you might be bringing up is maybe the move here is see what the market is for Kevin Durant, trade Kevin Durant at his max value here and play the heck out of Cam Thomas and just try to go ahead and, and give yourself a guaranteed lottery pick this year. Yeah. I mean, cause this is the year. It's not going to be next year because next year the Rockets own your pick outright. So if this was a year to do it, this would be it. Now, on the other end, the, the, and we've talked about this at length, you know, this Brooklyn front office has invested a lot, right? With the Harden trade and all the picks they owe. And, you know, so if they're willing to take an approach like they did when they took over, in 2016 when there were they didn't have any in, anything invested in the Boston trade that you know I you know part of that front office made this is that this is this is direction however things are a lot different than 2016 their fingerprints are all over the Harden trade of 2021 their fingerprints are on Irving on Durant um on Ben Simmons here so it's a little it's a it's a it's a a lot different than it was, you know, five or six years ago. But if there was ever an opportunity, this would be the year. They're also $290 million deep on their payroll when you include their tax. And that's what Sean Marks, I've talked about it before. Like part of the reason they're trying to keep this together is because of that. Um, because of, of you know, the, the huge investment. And it's so hard to walk away from it. But it, if it walks away from you, you know, when you're in a bad deal, you got to get out of it. Um, and I'm not saying this is a decision they'd have to make, like, in the next few days. But it would have to be a decision to be made in the next few weeks. Wouldn't you think, Bobby? Yeah. I mean, we all we all do it in 20-game intervals. Um, you know, there'll be a point when you know certainly when we're getting closer to december 15th when most players will be able to be traded that um they're gonna see where they are in the standings right as of you know sunday night they're four and six and they've got a tough they've got you know certainly dallas coming up they've got the knicks they've got they're gonna, they're gonna go out west here um you know they play they 
they competed in the two wins against Washington and Charlotte. I mean, I'll give them credit. They fought probably more fight in that Charlotte game than I've seen in a long time as far right. as coming back there. Um, but the reality is, is that they're nowhere near Milwaukee. Um, they're nowhere near where Cleveland is. Could they eventually get there? I, I mean, there's so many what ifs, right? I mean, we, I feel like we've been dealing with what ifs with Brooklyn forever. Right. Well, they, they only know the stat. I mean, they also have the medical reports. They know the status of what their play, what their injured players are looking at. And you've got um, a real problem with Kyrie Irving. I don't know if he's going to satisfy whatever plan that they've set for forward for him to, to come back. I don't know where Ben Simmons is going to be with this knee injury, with this recovering back injury. They have kind of that knowledge. And, um, you know, the thing about it is, is that Durant, he's having a really good year. He's playing really well. You know, I think they wouldn't be able to get anywhere near the, value they were hoping to get last summer, but his value would still be extremely high. You could still do extremely well, Um, you know, multiple unprotected first round picks, right? Um, Don't you think, you know, a young player or two. Um, And, you know, if you trade them for expiring salary, salary relief uh, off of that contract, like they, they could still, I don't think, I I don't think he's not the same value as he was in the summer. But there was no real bidders there. I, I don't think he's a distressed asset at this point, Bobby. I don't know if you agree. No, I agree. I mean, I don't think. I mean, hey, he's still a he's still a top, you know, still a top five player, and he's got four, you know, less than four years left on his contract with no options, you know. And he hasn't he's not hasn't been on the shelf yet. I mean, that's the other thing. There's the you know, there will probably be a point somewhere. I mean, the, the track record is there that he'll he will miss a chunk of games here. Um, so I think. The value of him is is probably not where, you know, where it was this summer. There's not going to be that home run package out there. If you're Brooklyn, you know, and things go south this year, do you just look at next offseason and kind of, you know, you know, you know, wait, kind of go back in a holding pattern and instead of rushing to do something now? All right, well, let's take a let's take a step back and compare them to the Knicks. So the Knicks. You know, I think they're a team, you know, they play hard as all Tibbs teams do. Um, They are going to be tough to beat at home. I think they're going to be, they're going to win a lot of games in the garden this year. They're going to be too good probably to really have any, whether even if they miss the playoffs, which right now, you know, they'd have a, they'd probably be, they're looking at a play in opportunity. Um, They're probably, they don't have great um, odds on one of the top three or four picks. They can get lucky. They also have three players who are signed to $100 million contracts who are not really all-star players in Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and Jalen Brunson. Now, maybe Brunson breaks through and is an all-star player, but as good as you know, you, you like him, is he a top four point guard in the East? Um, Probably not. Right. Probably I mean, not. is he top? I mean, you know, you when you think about the talent in the East. I mean, even like Cade Cunningham, who's coming up, uh, you know, Trey young, um, you know, Fred Van Vliet was an all-star last year. Is he better than Fred Van Vliet? You know, Darius Garland, you know, uh, Drew holiday. I mean, 
he's a hundred million dollar player. He's not a hundred ninety million dollar player. He's a hundred million dollar player. But the Knicks have a lot of money tied up in players who are sub All Star level. Um, again, maybe Jalen proves me wrong. Maybe he makes the All Star team this year. But um, so they, you know, and and they have the, the other contracts. They have, you know, I guess Fournier would be considered a bit of a of a of a, of a difficult asset. But you know, it's not brutal. But they have a lot of money invested in a team that's kind of middle of the pack. And I don't see a huge amount of upward mobility there. So when you're picking the Knicks over the Nets, it's kind of a, a, a referendum on the Nets than it is on the Knicks with the belief that those 11 first round picks at some point could be turned into a big time player. Is that, was that how you see it? Yeah. I mean, how I see it is the Knicks are boring. <laughs> I mean, that's how it is. They're boring, which is a good thing, right? Like sometimes it's okay. Like if comparing the Knicks and the Nets is like, if you're running the Knicks, you can put, you can put your head on the pillow at night and go to sleep and wake up. And there's not going to be a couple phone calls in the middle of the night here. Yeah. You can put you your know, phone in silence and not worry about it. Where with the Nets, you might wake up and build, and it might be PR disaster. With, there might be three different PR disasters, right? So for me, I think, as I said, I think they're safer. The, the, the upside is not there. Like the, what we see in New York, they're probably a 43 win team, right? Probably a 43, 44 win team. They're, as you said, they're going to play hard. They're going to steal some games here and there. There'll be a team that's probably a playing team. Um, and that's probably what they are. Um, where with Brooklyn, it's all over the place here. So that's a little bit kind of my rationale why I would pick uh New York over Brooklyn. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Yeah, so the other thing is, in a way, by by acquiring all these picks, they've put themselves in a bit of an interesting spot. So now they're like the people that go into the jewelry store or whatever make whatever analogy you want to make and everybody they can see the wad of cash they got and this is kind of what happened with utah you know the knicks were very cognizant of overpaying um you know i think it's you know it's and i, and I do think it affected their negotiations there they didn't want to be mocked 
for overpaying, especially the way Minnesota was being treated. And it's not looking great in the early going for Minnesota for Gobert. Um, I think it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world for the Knicks to trade some of those picks for something else. I actually think it would sort of be a palate cleanser um, because I think, you know, when the next player potentially comes available, player X, I don't want to be aggregated into who I think it could be. Um, and just so we're clear here, you don't think there's any way that if Durant comes to back to market, you don't, you don't think there's any way that they would consider doing a deal with the Knicks, do you? <laughs> you never say never. I mean, we hated doing it. I mean, I, I never did it. You know, I, I, we never even called them when we were making like trade calls. Like, I don't never, I don't remember ever making a phone call to New York to, you know, um, in you 20 know, years, did you ever talk to the Knicks about no a transaction? No, nope, never. Not even when we were trying to give guys away. <laughs> like you've got the 57th pick and you want to trade it. You wouldn't even call the Knicks. Not even night of the draft. Man. Not even if we were trying to sell a pick. I remember when in the wake of the, uh, the decision and LeBron being traded to the, uh, you know, LeBron got signed and traded to the, to the heat in 2010. Um, even, you know, that was a very tense negotiation, that trade that got done. It got done within like 12 hours. It wasn't, or 15 hours or something. Um, but the heat, the heat and the calves didn't do a deal until 2000, I think 18 when they sent Dwayne Wade back basically for free. And it was basically like an honorarium for Dwayne Wade. And I still don't think that they've done much business since. Um, and that's, you know, that's just a, it's just a scar from that. So, but even that eight years later, they got over it. You know, I know the Clippers and Lakers have almost never done deals. They did one deal a few years ago. And that didn't and, work out well. <laughs> no, Avicia Zubac for Mike Mascala. Who else was in that deal? Yeah, I mean, Zubac was the big name, right? I mean, that was, yeah, that was the head scratcher. And then like Jerry West, I don't know if, um, I can't remember if it was like caught on a hot mic or something or it came through discovery, but Jerry West, like, you know, couldn't believe that the Lakers, you know, had done that deal. But so there's, there's some scar tissue from that. I don't, I, I don't foresee plus the whole, um, you know, balls stuff with the, those other, those emails coming through that other lawsuit where um, <laughs> the Lakers folks were calling Steve Ballmer balls. Not that that's that big of a deal, but you know, just, I don't foresee any, any deal there anytime soon. Um, but they did do a deal. So I guess we could take that off the table. Um, Nick's, um, Nick's, uh, nets. Uh, but you know, I do think that that is something that the Knicks have to have to be cognizant of is it, you know, being too cautious, you know, so many of those picks, as I read through them, you have no idea when you're going to get them, you know, maybe get them in 2023, maybe get them in 2026. And in a way that's valuable because um, you can just roll them over. But in another way, when you're negotiating with those and a team's starting to rebuild, I, I don't know if they don't want that uncertainty. I'm not so sure, you know, especially when you've got, you know, seven other Knicks picks to choose from. So um, they have an embarrassment of riches, but I don't know if they're going to be able to spend all that, spend all of that currency, Bobby. Well, I mean, draft picks are like the stock market, right? It's like owning the stock. I mean, that Detroit pick and the Washington pick, that might be 
to a year from now might be instead of 50 cents on a dollar might be 25 cents on the dollar. I mean, right. that's, that's the reality of it. The Dallas pick, which is top 10 protected um, this year probably comes to fruition. Where is that going to be in, in, in the twenties, maybe late teens, twenties um, who knows where, um, you know, Milwaukee is, um, you know, those Giannis will still be there right a few years from now. Um, who knows where Chris Middleton is, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the value of their picks is their own picks. I mean, that's the reality of it because there's, they're, they're all, they're still technically unprotected here. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, and do you, let's say there's a status quo. Let's say that they bring Kyrie Irving back and Durant avoids major injury, maybe almost a few games. I don't know what you're going to get from Ben Simmons. You know, from a roster standpoint, it's not comparable, which is why this is a bit of a controversial thing. But a year from now, you don't know, you know, Kyrie may be gone. You don't know where Ben Simmons is going to be at physically or mentally. Maybe the Knicks players have gotten better. Like, you know, you participate in the future power rankings um, with Kevin Pelton, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You know, forget the tra- forget the trauma that's going on with the Nets right now. Even though the, you don't look at the Knicks and say, oh my gosh, that's a future championship roster, their roster stability versus the Nets has some advantages there too, or am I way off? No, you're, you're, you're right on. I mean, um, you know, the, the well, Brooklyn next year, um, I mean, what's going to be left if you make it, if you make the argument that Kyrie Irving is not part of your future, right? What's left? I, I think that's a fair assessment to make that he's not a part of their future right now. Yeah. What's left is Kevin Durant, who's already asked for a trade and a bunch of, you know, supporting pieces and parts that no longer makes sense if, if Durant is asking for a trade and Kyrie is gone. Or the assets that you get from a Kevin Durant trade and a lottery pick in this year's draft, which yeah. Houston probably won't, you know, e- either way you switch it. In, and the more you talk about it, the more you start to scratch your chin about it. And you know what? Sean Marks excelled when he was building a team from nothing into something. When he had a team that was something, that's where he is struggled. So I wonder if you gave him truth serum, which one he'd rather have. Um, all right, Bobby. Um, thank you. You've been a very good contributor to the Hoop Collective column, which is running every Tuesday on ESPN.com. Bobby will have another um, piece in this, uh, this week's edition. Um, thank you to uh, Alex Spear, who joined us earlier. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you to all of you guys. We'll be back with you on Wednesday um, for the second edition of Collective this week. Everybody have a good week. Real quick, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle? Taco Tuesday over salad? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash hoop, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash hoop now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash hoop. 